what is it my therapist always say? Strid är den luft jag andas. How would you say that in English? War is the air I breathe. Oh yes, yeah. precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Deus Ex Comedian. My name is Ryan Bussell. I'll be your host. I am an American living in Sweden since 2006 and a comic since 2011. On this podcast, I'll be talking to comics who have retired uh, or they're taking a long break or they simply quit the grind and they're happy to perform just a handful of times per year. So what made them slow down or even stop performing altogether? Is there anything about the grind that they miss? Most importantly, without approval from drunk strangers, how instead do they fill that dark hole inside where a soul should be? Let's find out. Well, hello everyone. Uh, my guest this week is none other than Arne Flom. Yes. It's nice to see you. It's been quite a long time. A few years, years now. Yeah. Yes. Been, yeah. When did you uh, quit doing stand-up? I, th- I decided to take a break at the beginning of last year. Okay, so, so the, co- just, COVID. just before it was actually just before COVID. Oh, not uh, because of COVID. No, I, I really felt just burned out. Uh, mostly, I was hosting only. I was running, working in a club that I was running. I was working as a host at another club. I really wasn't doing much gigs otherwise than that, and it just felt like it was just so much. Plus, hmm. I live in Knivstad, so it's, it's a long commute yeah. in and out of. I understand, home. but now you're alone in Knivstad doing nothing. How's, yes. how's, how does that feel? It doesn't feel very good. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out worked out well for a while. Uh, I mean, all of last year, I wasn't working either, so I was just really at home. Every, really? Every day was just, it was I'd get up, I'd go to the gym, I'd go to the grocery store. Why not work? I had lost a job also just before just Okay, before so everything at once. It was everything at once. Yes, when it rains, it pours, exactly. as you Americans say, <laughs> or Brits, I don't know, really. I Americans say it too. Okay. But it really was like just when I felt like I was ready to kind of go, I'll get back into stamp a little bit, I'll start doing gigs here and there. And then it was COVID. Then there was no place to go. But you're still married. I am still married. All right, so everything is not bad. Everything is slow, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's she has a job. She does not. Oh, okay. Uh, So while she does, she works, while she does, she's a full-time student. She's the president of the Swedish Billiards Federation. The what federation? The Swedish Billiards Federation. All right. So a pool. Pool, exactly. All right. Yes. Okay. She was very offended. Not not only pool. Uh, everything else. Uh, and she's working part time plantagen, and she said yes to becoming the president of like the local like apartment association. Oh, so she's been like home, but very busy, and I've been home and not busy. Uh, so what have you been doing? Uh, I mean, well, I, I can just imagine you must have seen every South Korean. <laughs> Uh, uh, series on Netflix. I pretty, yeah, I, pretty, I went through YouTube <laughs> for sure. All right, uh, I, up a lot, I binged a lot of TV shows I missed, like uh, uh, Mad Men was, for example. I heard some good things about okay. that one, and The Wire. And was it and, good then? Uh, it was good. Yeah. All right, and The Wire. The Wire was aged. I, I liked it every, everything but the last season. The last right. season I didn't enjoy it very much. I hmm. The whole create a serial killer uh, plotline was a bit silly, but otherwise, I uh, might have missed the last season. Actually, I didn't miss much. I, I hated know. season two. Oh, that was the good one. That was well, the... well, maybe season three, which is the one with the Polish people in the har- harbor. That's the third one. Okay, that's the one I didn't like. So, so what are we doing here today? Well, as I as I said, I had so much time just to do nothing and think. I was just thinking about the fact that I wasn't doing stamp, and I still love it very much. I still feel just as passionate about it now as I always have, but I didn't miss it. 
All right. either. And I was very confused by that. Why, why, why didn't I miss it more? Hmm. And that made me think about all the people that I've known over the years that I used to see on a regular basis, but then I don't see them at all anymore. Either, either they just slow down or they're going to like a, you know, big top-level gigs and podcasts or just quit altogether. And you know, over the years, at the, at the time when those people just vanish, yeah, I would just be like, oh my God, how can you just leave? How can you just stop when things are so, so, so good? Yeah, but it's and, quite understandable. Really. Yeah, and now I've been doing this for 10 years now. So yeah. now when people leave, it's like it doesn't really affect me as much. But yeah. I'm still very fascinated by by people who were very very passionate and very very active in the scene, and then just decide to stop. Or well, I didn't stop, not really. I mean, my last gig was in Ley on third of January. Okay. So, no, last year. So that's a year and a half now. But that's because of COVID, I suppose. And uh, but I I don't really like performing. I got tired of the club scene in Sweden. You might say, but I, I mean, I've quit stand up for good three times in my life. So I know it's never really exactly for good. It's mm. like a drug, right? And uh, I think King Lun, he said it best. No one should ever have to explain why they quit stand up. Because uh, doing stand up is grueling. <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you go to those little clubs, you don't get paid. You're there, there just to try out material. And then... You get some material, but does it make your life that much better? Probably not. It's hard to say, really. But yeah. And these these times you say you quit. Have, have you made like a was there a conscious choice? Yeah. Like a, super I, conscious. Now I quit. Yeah, yeah, I quit for good, and then I'm back a few months later, normally. But now COVID has really put a dint in my stand-up career. <laughs> How's yours? Yeah, it's <laughs> the same. And, and I, that goes for everybody now. Right, so I mean, there are people who try to perform online. I do podcasts, so it's not like I'm not doing anything, but uh, uh, going between club, like open mics in Stockholm, and trying out material. No, it's uh, probably maybe I'll start this fall again. We'll see. Okay, we'll see, but I'm not sure. But what is what is it exactly about the clubs that you? got burned out on I mean it, do, you, do you still enjoy being in front of a crowd like I've never enjoyed being in front of a crowd no that's not why I do stand-up <laughs> uh, I do stand-up because I write a lot of jokes and I want to try them and most of the jokes I've written for the last 10 years are obviously for me and not for every for anyone else uh, so uh, so it's more a way of uh, well, that's how you publish your material if you write jokes, right? So, yeah, that's why I did it. And I have a certain modicum of talent for it because I don't really care about the audience that much. Hmm. So the reaction don't affect me as much as maybe it should. <laughs> um, and then also when it comes to performing in Sweden, I mean, you can take the exact same material and you can do it anywhere in Sweden and you get, like uh, a medium type response and then you do the same material in Gothenburg and you get a great response because they have a culture of laughter I'm, I'm not saying that it's the most honest laughter because they laugh equally as much uh, as at another comedian than my own gig but that's but but you get a taste of how the culture should be around laughter and comedy 
and you get the same and I mean if you perform in Norway or even Finland you get more laughter than you do in Sweden so there's something about performing in Sweden comedy stand-up comedy at least that I don't know I've fallen out of love with I, I, I see it more as a chore than, mm. uh, than uh, a passion nowadays I don't know that I would say like my experience at Gothenburg was a, was a better experience than, than Stockholm is but I think in general the Swedish audience they've been saying on stage my host I, I know how they think that like the, the ideal comedy room in Sweden would be just a pitch black room with a light on stage yeah. where everyone in the audience could be anonymous because no one ever wants to laugh out loud un, unless, they're, unless everyone, if everyone's laughing it's a committee it's like yeah. a committee reaction like we're, now we're applauding okay then yeah. all, all join consensus that. society yeah. and that's why we get the very special type of uh, um, huge stand up performing I mean we, we get these people from time to time who make it like big in Sweden and then the, it becomes like you know mega church type big and you go to their gigs and there's no laughter it's just middle class people sitting there <laughs> applauding every joke because it somehow relieves their guilty uh, conscience about being well to do or not at least dirt poor <laughs> uh, and uh, and that's not stand up in my I mean stand up to me is a filthy cellar filled with uh, the wreckage of humanity for an audience and it's uh, you, you can sort of almost taste the smell of desperation and stale bear, beer in the air and, and then uh, and then you can do dark comedy and Sweden should be suited to it because of the climate right I mean it's so dark and so cold and so depressing most of the year hmm. and, and that should be like a really conducive climate for stand-up comedy uh, but for some reason, we also have this no one's supposed to laugh out loud uh, culture going for us, which, uh, well, it doesn't make for a very pleasant experience going up on stage. But your description of like a dark basement that smells like stale beer and desperation, you just described 98% of all the clubs are active in Stockholm. Oh, yeah. Usually. Absolutely. Or anywhere else, else in the world, I think. But you still get tired less of that also. Well, as I said, like last time I was on stage was, well, I suppose then 3rd of January 2020. And that was in LA. Also a very PC environment, right? And uh, I did well. And I enjoyed it. Even though it was uh, filled with, you know, hardcore lesbians in suits who probably, you know, run me out of town had I been American doing the same material but <laughs> now I could go up and be a clueless Swede and get away with it which was fun and I have that benefit here well I, yeah to a certain extent but now you've been here for a while haven't you I have but it still doesn't, it doesn't matter I mean most of the time I perform in English I may always have but there have been times when I performed in Swedish and I've noticed there are certain jokes I can do in English that I can't do in Swedish it's like the audience will let me get away with saying certain things yeah. as long as I'm the outsider American speaking English. But speaking Swedish, there's a, I can feel the audience going, no, that's not okay. You're not, no. allowed, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to be a foreigner to, uh, and make it on the, in the Swedish stand-up scene, then I, I, I guess Al Pitcher's way is the way to go. Make joke, silly jokes about Swedish culture that no one really takes offense at. Yeah, I was actually told, advised very early on, uh, Eric Bomberg uh, mm -hmm. told me at a roast, said, uh, if you ever hope to have any 
hope of a career in Sweden, you have to kill Al Pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually not true. I've actually realized I don't, I don't need to kill Al Pitcher because he can't say yes to every gig. So there's another American comic named David T. David T. Weaver, and yes. he gets every gig that Al says no to. So just, I just kill David, yes. and, then, and then I'll be fine. So, hmm. so Weaver is still around. He's still around. Yeah, uh, he's actually done all, all the artwork, all the uh, artwork for this podcast. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I haven't around. seen any of the artwork. I mean, you just invited me yes, and I showed up late. <laughs> yes. uh, but so yeah. So was this was what we were supposed to talk about? Yes. How shit it is to do stand up in Sweden. <laughs> very, very much. Yeah. Well, I think we sort of covered that topic then. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you said you you've said now like you have quit three times. But what what brings it, has brought you back in the past? Um, I guess it's just uh, something drives me when it comes to writing, and uh, I guess because I do write for myself, but not in the last ten years. I mean, I've become increasingly a professional writer uh, so I write to get published and the only way to publish jokes is stand-up comedy and also I mean me and Jonathan started out together and Jonathan I think is a huge talent uh, and I have as I say talent for writing jokes and I can go up and deliver them with a semi-straight face and sometimes I can do a teensy weensy bit of face plasticity, but it's not like I do characters or you know uh, act out a sketch on stage um, and impersonate even two people. So um, so and and then uh, where are you supposed to go from there in Sweden? I mean, you can become the best best at stand-up comedy, sure, but I think I was pretty darn good at stand-up comedy for. A few many years and then maybe you'd want to do more with your comedy like for instance sketches or sitcoms or god forbid movies hmm. and the market for that in sweden isn't very big i mean if you look at the sketch uh, shows we have and the sitcom shows well i can't really see myself writing for any of them nor parliament that i did that for a few years as you know and uh, or i don't know if you knew but, yeah yeah uh, but I mean, it's not fun. I, uh, if you if if you choose something as gruesome and grueling as trying to support yourself as a comedian, then uh, it's obviously not primarily for the money. Because if that's your reason to be in comedy, then you're a retard. <laughs> uh, and uh, then it's about personal development, right? Or uh, being able to develop your skill. And I didn't see any routes to do that. You can, I mean, I could do sketches for myself on Instagram like young comedians do now. Uh, but that's not, that wasn't my dream because Instagram didn't exist when I was a child, hmm. nor did podcasts. So, I mean, I didn't dream about doing podcasts. Uh, I wanted to write and I get to write some. So that's enough for me. Really? When did you start doing stand-up? 2007. Okay. I was 27 years old, so that's pretty old, also. Yeah, I started what, well, 10 years ago, and I was also quite old. Uh, yeah, when I was what 36. But you have a leg up from most people because you're American and you're sort of drilled in the art of conversation from childhood and onwards. I would hope so. Uh, I've actually been told by many, many Swedes have told me uh, that I'm not typical American, uh, which why? Well, they mean it as a compliment. 
Okay. Uh, but they don't understand, like, in America, to say, say to someone, hey, you're not, you're not American. It's, like, the worst insult you can, you can deliver. But I know where it comes from, though, because in Sweden, for a Swede, if a Swede told another Swede, you're not being typical Swedish. It's always a compliment. That's so, always, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, it, like you show some, show some pride in your work, or you just, uh, like, are you, are you, I remember Ava, for example, Ava, uh, we were at a dinner party talking to people we didn't know, and uh, it came up that Ava uh, is a billiards instructor, and someone asked her, are you any good at it? And she said, I'm very good at it. And the woman didn't know, just like, yeah. reacted like, oh, that's so nice to hear. So nice <laughs> to hear someone say that they're yeah. good, not, not the usual Swedish, like, Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, you know, log home, everything's going to be, you can't stand out or... Well, think. okay, I'll go then. I was one of the best in our generation of stand-up comedians. There you go. Good. Just I was. Great, unswedish. Well, there's some things that, you know, would gainsay that, because I got a few awards from the other stand-up comedians in Sweden, which is sort of a death kiss. <laughs> um, but, um, kiss of death, right? That's, yeah, kiss, yeah. No, I haven't... I haven't spoken English in quite some time, as you can tell. But um, so, um, yeah. But yeah, you you want to be able to develop, don't you? I mean, in whatever you do for a living, you want to see some sort of progression. I do, at least. And uh, after a while, Swedish stand-up didn't really offer me any progression. There was nowhere to go for me. No, there really was not for anyone, really. As you say, like... If you're not on TV, you don't exist as far as the general public is concerned. I mean, there's so many people. But on that's there. true in any country. Well, I, I don't know. But I think, like in at least in the, the U.S., like the very typical comic pro- progression was, you're supposed to get discovered at the club, and then you would get to do SNL, or yeah. you'd be the wacky neighbor on a sitcom, sitcom, and then suddenly you'd be doing movies. Like there, there felt like there was a a step to go beyond just doing stand-up. A where, ladder. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in Sweden, there's really not like you can get to like the, the, the best clubs in town. Well, that's it's, it's becoming a member of Parliamentet. And I tried out for the Parliamentet, but they didn't want me, so here I am. <laughs> yeah. hmm. It's hard to think about, but, uh, or not hard, but it's just, I rarely think about it. It wasn't one of my dreams either to become. Uh, I just wanted to do stand up. And I did stand up. I mean, I have four specials out. How, m- how much, m- much more can I give you? <laughs> well, not being at the clubs every week. Um, well, I'm not going to clubs every week. And if I start again, I guess I'd have to go to Big Ben. And then uh, it'd be really hard, I think, to start again now. Because now I'm known as an opinion maker. <laughs> right. So I have to go up on stage and be like serious. And I've never really been serious on stage. I always do jokes. Uh, so no, I, I have a hard time. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Maybe it'll give me the oomph I need to get going again. But do you really feel like you have to do what the audience, that you have to be what the audience expects you to be? No, but you have to explain yourself. You know that, right? Uh, um not adapt to the audience, but you have to understand how they see you when you're out on stage. And, I mean, otherwise you're kind of clueless, right? So, I mean, and that's why I brought up my Jewishness, because, you know, I look a bit like an immigrant or used to when my hair was less white. Uh, and you had to explain that somehow. And, of course, I could have lied and said, I'm, an, uh, I'm a Kurdish Arab from China. And that would be super interesting, I suppose. Uh, but it would also be a lie. 
<laughs> and uh, I try not to lie on stage. That's always the goal. Uh, so yeah. I, I tell people like on being on stage is is, is is as as honest as you can be. Yeah. Or not, you can do whatever you want. You can you can you can just lie your ass off on stage. Also. Well, if you're a character, but then usually the comedians that are characters, like Messiah Halberg, he's uh, like super stylized, right? He goes out and he impersonates this character and the audience recognize him as a character and usually has a few jokes that explain the character and his also ironic view of his own character in the same jokes so everyone has to explain what the audience is regardless of if they're known or not yeah yeah and uh, me i've made myself known now so i guess well a few percent of any audience would have an a, a sort of biased view of who I am and uh, imagine going up on Söder I mean after all if they recognize me I'm Mr. Crush socialism <laughs> so then you'd have to have an explanation for that it's um, actually been a question I've been asking sorry to be no sure a question I've actually been asking everyone on the podcast is just that like it, let's, let's say you would decide I'm going to star again or go to the big man you go down there and you're going to see a lot of comics you've never seen before because it's always a revolving door of mm -hmm. rookies and most of them have never seen you before and they may not know you as famous as you are they may they may not know you at all and the general reaction amongst comics is if they don't know who you are they're not going to talk to you at all until you've actually been on stage and it can prove that you're yeah, funny but, that, but i'm fine with that i was going to say how, how would that feel to walk in like you don't you wouldn't have that baggage of like don't they know who i am i all my history no but that else? would be lovely you're describing the, uh, the optimal situation for me <laughs> because then you get to define yourself completely, right? But also I, I find, because you know, I've been doing stand-up for like 15 years. I find that you, you do reinvent yourself automatically every few years because you start building a set and that set becomes your material. And when you've done that material a few hundred times, it's like you've sublimated something in your unconscious, right? You've, because those jokes are usually something that has annoyed you about yourself, the world. And if it's the world, it's still yourself because it's your attitude towards the world. Right. So it's, it's sort of a intensive psychotherapy or something. You, you go up and you repeat these ails that you have. And after a while, you don't feel them anymore because they're just, they, they become some, just words after a while. And, you know, when, when jokes lose their meaning to you, the creator of the same jokes, then that means, I think, that uh, uh, those jokes are not yours anymore. You've outgrown your jokes. And then you have to start constructing new jokes. And uh, those jokes will be about where you're at now. So I think in stand-up, if you're doing it properly and reinventing yourself and trying to write new jokes all the time, then you automatically get that lease. I feel the same way, but I also feel like when it comes to that, that drive for new material and reinvention and everything else, it seems to come from with, within and also doesn't seem to be entirely necessary. I mean, there are, there are comics I've seen. I saw them for the first time when I first started, and Who? they have been performing for years. And Who? 10 years later... Who? They haven't changed the word of their sets. Who? I'm not saying names. Okay, so get them all back. <laughs> I've actually, I've never actually met the man. I you haven't? Well, I, I, no, I met him. I hosted the show when he was on. And we just said hello. I uh, didn't have any interaction with him. But I mean, I've heard so many stories yeah, yeah, sure. uh, about him. Uh, yeah, well, but those are the oldest of the comedians, right? 
they are the ones who come from a different time where you could, you know, go around Sweden 20 years in a row with the same material and you'd never have to change because it wouldn't be online. So people haven't seen you. Yeah, uh, but that because of technology has changed as well. I mean, you need new material. Otherwise, no one will want to see you after a while or book you. Uh, so uh, and I still write jokes. I come I come up with jokes like once a week without even trying. So. Uh, yeah. So I'll probably go at it again at some point. And you? Yeah, the same way. Actually, if you, I have three gigs now. All of a sudden, I had like I haven't done anything. last month. Was where? Was in November. I mean, you're obviously immune, but you can't say that for sure. But uh, <laughs> well, I actually, get, I'm booked to get a vaccine on Wednesday. And that's your oh, first 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 shot. Okay, that's also interesting because in the U.S., they're telling people that if you've had if you've had COVID, uh, then you should wait 90 days before you get your first shot. Yeah, and then. For me, like it was two weeks ago, so it was literally one week before vaccine. So it and might it not up. take. Well, I asked when they, the doctor called me to say oh, you tested positive for, for COVID, and I said, okay, uh, if my plan was to get vaccinated as soon as possible, should I still do that? And she said, well, you really just vaccinate yourself. But sure, <laughs> okay, just like who knows? Okay. It, 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 I have no uh, idea. And what shot are you taking? Uh, Pfizer. Pfizer. Okay. That was my. I, I could choose between two: Moderna or Pfizer. Uh, but you couldn't choose with Moderna, so oh, I'm getting Pfizer. Yeah, and I have no idea. But I'm hoping for Pfizer. Okay, but I'm, I I can also see myself taking a mix. I know they don't recommend that, but I think it would be <laughs> funny <laughs> if you collected it like badges. No, I actually have AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna. All, all the stamps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, hmm. yeah. Well, uh, and uh, my life now is extremely comfortable i mean i've always worked from home i like working from home i did that before covid i'm doing it after covid like the only real difference is that i don't have to mosey out to a club i mean i get to write for my podcast if i want to write or i can write for myself uh, which i nothing i write is for myself really i write it even if i say it's for myself sooner or later it becomes something that i publish hmm. So, um, yeah, and that's it. Was that the entire interview? Just about. I, I, I actually read, I read, uh, uh, this is a Swedish tiger. I, oh, you uh, did? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I, I wish it came out so much In sooner. English? No, in Swedish. In Swedish? Yeah, I can speak Swedish. Okay, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's, I mean, most Swedes thought it was an advanced book, but it, you didn't find it. No, up. that was a child's play. Yes, I wrote it, and I, I wrote it to be. So simple that anyone could understand well, it. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I got, yeah, I, I can't say that I recognize every single word as I was reading, but I, I, I understood. I wish it came out sooner because I remember having a... All I could think about was this argument that I had with my ex-father-in-law years ago because uh, obviously I think Sweden being neutral during World War II was, uh, was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And he was very much on the fence of, or, or on the side of, no, it was a good thing because then we were, uh, we, we, we were in a great shape to help everyone else after the war was over. There they go again. Uh, it's a great thing, thing for Swedes to be neutral during wartime. It's super because they didn't have to risk anything and they made a lot of money from it. Mm. Uh, but there's a difference because what Swedes say today is that, you know, they're the moral superpower of the world, which is a different matter. Uh, 
neutrality is not good generally for the ones around you getting occupied and fucked by Nazis. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, did you like it? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Uh, I also I, I point out every year the Christmas time. It's the law to watch uh, Disney cartoons yeah. in, in Sweden, and then after that is uh, Carl Bergstrom. Yeah, and I always love the cartoon. I always point out because uh, on on the bedroom wall he has the, the, the Nazi. Swedish, yeah. Well, he has the Swedish the Swedish Tiger uh, poster in his bedroom, uh, but then when he drives around with his father to apologize to everyone, he had a swastika. So yeah, flying, yeah, flying, yeah. But, but I love it a few years ago when Swedes got so upset that uh, Disney had cut the uh, blackface doll uh, from Disney, just from their Disney cartoons. And I just point out, like, don't worry, the swastika still there. Did it explain some things you've been wondering about the Swedes? Since you've, I mean, you've been here for a while now. So did you get any explanations? Uh, well, certainly the, the actual, the really main reasons, the political, the political and financial reasons, I hadn't. Uh, then wasn't aware of how deep that went yeah. before reading the book. But I think the overall attitude of seemed from Sweden seemed to be like, well, what could we do? Well, they could have resisted. Yeah, and I always, I always point out it's, like, it's, it's one thing to be neutral. It's one thing to be neutral. Yeah, and I, I think in general neutrality is like a, a great ideal to live up to. Uh, but I always pointed out like taking you know allowing Nazis to take trains through Sweden to Norway is not exactly. is not neutrality. Yeah, uh, it isn't. And I actually hadn't realized until I moved here that they didn't just go to Norway. They came back and went over to Finland. Yes. <laughs> so they were, did the crisscross round trip. Yeah, they did. And uh, but, yeah, but it's... Uh, and now I'm getting sued for that shit. Yeah? How's that going? Uh, I don't know. Um, the verdict uh, from appeals court will arrive on the 23rd of June. So I'm uh, waiting to find out. Always exciting. I don't really think about it that much. Because if you le- if you think about it, then it becomes... Like a super weird situation to be in. Yeah, it didn't really feel like a vindictive move because because it, on a, on face value, it seems obviously it's a parody. That it, that it should the be tiger. Idea. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I won the first instance, uh, so the courts uh, freed me then. But now we'll see. They want three point three million as well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So walking, uh, as you can tell, my... it's three point three million. I don't really have. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell them that. So I get back to Big Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, no, but um, so so. What type of gigs have you booked with live audiences? Yeah, live audiences outside. Uh, uh, No, indoors. Well, Big Ben has stayed open. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because Thanos calls me every once in a while. The only old colleague that still calls me. Really? Yes. Yeah, Um, they they still open, but I didn't. I didn't go. Uh, When the restrictions got tougher. Uh, Big Ben decided to stay open because that's that's Big Ben. Big Ben would be open if there was a if yeah. ring fire from the sky. Yeah, they would yeah. they would stay open. So I, yeah, I kind of understood that, but I, I didn't really want to go there. But I'm going to go there actually now on Thursday, and then uh, I'm going to do uh, a club called Laugh House on Saturday. And where is that now? That's in Gamlestan. So okay, so it's probably England or uh, no, what's no not England? That's uh, Bakshi's. It's called. It used to be O'Leary's back then. Before, okay. Now it's now it's Bakshi's. All right. Well. I haven't. Maybe I should get out. Any new rookies that are fun? I, I had not really been out there myself okay. for so long, so it's it's been quite a while. So I really don't, I actually heard I was talking to someone who who has been hosting me then uh, throughout the pandemic, and I just asked him what what's it been like, and he said there's actually been a, a bit of a boom for like new faces because suddenly they could get gigs because you know, most comics weren't performing. Yeah. So suddenly there was an opportunity for all these brand new people. So. Hmm. Exciting. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure when I'm sure when I go down there, I'm going to have the situation where I'm going to walk in and no one's going to know who I am, and 
So what are you going to do? Are you going to go up and do your old jokes or new jokes? No, I'm going to do new jokes. Actually, no, I'm going to lie my ass off. Because uh, mm. I just thought... I, I got I was going to think about this really old... I had a joke 10 years ago. Uh, I was very fascinated by the fact that... So when you, when you watch TV, you watch movies here in, in Sweden, and everything is subtitled in, in, uh, in Swedish. So American movie with Swedish subtitles. And I found it quite fascinating that uh, pornography, like Canal Plus at midnight, will show like a hardcore porn mm-hmm. and subtitled in Swedish. Which I found very fat, like I said, that's someone's job. Like someone, yeah. has, someone actually has to spend time. But that does that? No, it doesn't happen still, does it? Yes, well, yeah, of course it does. What channel? Canal Plus. Okay, so they have porn. They have porn, yeah. Mm. <laughs> they should market that more. But I thought I had this whole idea where I talk about that, and then it kind of hit me, like just again, just randomly, random thoughts. Like, wouldn't be fun. Wouldn't be funnier. So instead of commenting on, oh, that's someone's job to do that, uh, if I just say, it's that's my, my job. job. Yeah. Like, I, I just got my thing <laughs> out group and I got that job. So I, I have six minutes just on that. And it would make sense because you can always say that, you know, because uh, they needed someone American and who speaks Swedish to translate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it'll be fun. We'll, we'll see. In my head it works. But, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. <laughs> that's always, and that's the exciting part, isn't it? To find out if it works. And that was the thing too. In the past year when I really wasn't doing much of anything. Uh, I mean I had that thought of like. Well this will be a great time to actually be like. Creative and, and, and write and think. Mm-hmm. But I really wasn't very motivated. I didn't really think. Because I wasn't living living life. I was, I was in my apartment. I was at the gym. Grocery store. Like life wasn't happening. And I've never, I've never sat down cold to write jokes. It's always. Comes out conversations I have. Or I'm just in the shower. Just thinking, thinking and all of a sudden I get this idea. And then. I'll, I'll, I'll write. Hmm. But without any kind of inspiration or anything, I just, just thought of nothing. So That's now, why your career went slower. Because you have to be disciplined. Yes, be disciplined. And hate yourself. <laughs> well, you have to hate yourself. There's plenty more. of that, yeah. 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 And do you I'm, hate I'm yourself, going, really? Yeah. Of course. Okay, but how much? Uh, I'll say, put it this way. A friend of mine told me, this is years and years ago, this is long before I started doing comedy. He told me, he said, Ryan, you act like you're the center of the universe. And you don't like yourself very much. You're a comedian. Exactly. What what could define a comic more? No, that's actually a perfect description. Um, (laughs) No, I'll uh, I'll go down. I have this fantasy of going down to Big Ben and taking my first 10 minutes and yelling them uh, at a very high pace. And then I have a few like experiments in my head about because I imagine at least on Södermalm in Stockholm uh, that there might be one or two hipsters in the audience who doesn't like the turn I've taken in the last few <laughs> years you know with the crush socialism it's, it's very sensitive for socialists when you say stuff like that because mm. they get offended um, nothing offends a socialist more than being interrupted from screaming crush socialism <laughs> and Zionism <laughs> Uh, more than a, you know a small Jew walking up to them and saying crush socialism. So how do you? Because it is a taboo in Sweden to be against socialism. So how how do you? How do I go up now, and uh, explain myself to the audience and try? Because if you're a comedian, I mean you should at least try to make everyone laugh. I think, like in the audience, right? Yeah. And uh, I'd have to start with you know explaining how short I am and why I'm because. In, in their minds now, I think, in the, in the socialists' minds, I'm like a dragon, 200 feet tall, 
with swords in each of my eight hands, uh, like a like a Hindu deity of some sort. So I'll have to start with explaining why I'm so short. I guess <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> because also I I imagine they use me nowadays to to scare their children to bed. Like go to bed or Aaron will come and eat you. Uh, something like that, and it's a very hard place to do stand-up comedy for. <laughs> this is actually something I want to ask you about. Yeah. Uh, because obviously you've taken a quite oppositional position. But I always towards... did, didn't I? I? Well, that's that's like my question because you're you're someone who is accusing Swedes of being Nazi sympathizers, uh, crushed socialism. You're very anti-Sweden, but at the same time. Like I was, if I didn't know, I'm any... not that anti the landmass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I didn't know you at all, like it was, here, here, here's an example. Okay, so this was not several years ago. Uh, there was a bit of a Twitter war between you and uh, Martin Sonnenby. At, yeah, at, at yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I remember. Yeah, but I remember just like don't the details or anything. But I remember like just from afar, just seeing it play out on Twitter. There just seemed to be so much vitriol, and like it was like, wow, like there's really, He's really very upset, like, very inflamed passions here. And then I met you, like pretty much right then. We, we were at event, actually one of his events. We were, you were there, and I just talked to you about that. And you seemed like you were so like nonchalant, like it, like you didn't seem like you were. In other words, it didn't seem like you were taking it that personal. No, but he did, unfortunately, or I don't know, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, well. Um, I, guess I, my, I, I, I guess my question is like, what, what, dri what drives this position? Because you, you don't seem like someone. Like, it doesn't seem like you in, maybe necessarily personally enjoy being like being like a hater or like being on a, like a conflict. Oh, I love that. Okay. I, I, uh, um, what is it? My therapist always say, "Strider dan luftja andas." How would you say that in English? War is the air I breathe. Oh, yes, <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I like conflict a lot and I like debate a lot. I like heated debate and I can become quite heated. And sometimes I care, but when it comes to Martin's position in the Middle East, I couldn't care less, really. Um, I was a bit annoyed about the fact that he, you know, views himself as good, but I was annoyed at Soran for that as well, you know, when he was like, no, PC just means you're good. Actually, it means you're a Stalinist fucking liar, and Aparachnik <laughs> will soon be, you know, uh, executing every tenth prostitute along the way to St. Petersburg, as Lenin famously wrote his soldiers that they should do. Um, uh, and it's just, well, uh, what drives me is I don't like stupidity. I don't like um, consensus. I don't like groupthink. Uh, collectivists annoy me a lot. Uh, had I lived in a more uh, right-leaning, I mean, you, I mean, you can have a left-leaning collectivist society or a right-leaning collectivist society, and we're in a left-leaning, like an egalitarian collectivist society, mm. and that makes for some pretty impressive uh, feats of stupidity. I mean. Just the BLM in Sweden last summer was like, why? We didn't do the slave trade. I mean, there was like four ships who did slave trade that were Swedish, but that was not even the Swedish state. It was some private citizen, a nobility of some sort. 
who, who did that. I mean, I mean, and we uh, possibly we could have real guilt, obviously, since I wrote a book about <laughs> right. it. But it doesn't come out like that. I always, uh, I always find it this way. How uh, do I best say it? I think you can't expect a logical reaction out of people who feel so passionately about that. About that Obviously issue. not. Yeah, and that—that's really where it comes from. Is but just... I don't have to like it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, they can have their irrational reaction to whatever it is that inflames their passions at the moment. Usually, it's just some sort of narcissistic way of saying I'm good, everybody else is bad, because truly, uh, this is a country filled of children. No war for two hundred and fifty years will do that to a culture. And, you know, Swedes have sayings like, låt barn vara barn. Well, if that's your philosophy, no one's going to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, uh, um, and, you know, when I wrote that book and I, and I did a lot of research about the social democrats when they worked together with the Nazis uh, and the leading social democrats, and I found myself liking most of them. Because they weren't retarded, you know, and and they weren't like, oh, it's bad to work with the Nazis. They were like, yeah, we can work with whomever if it gives us enough gold, which is a position I can understand and respect because it's a, a rational, pragmatic uh, position to take. Uh, but, you know, if you look at Sweden, the last five to ten years it's just you know we're open borders until you know reality hits the fan and then obviously we're closing them but not really closing them and then when me too hits the most this is the most feminist country in the world and we have the strongest reaction to me too and the most pervasive me too campaign in the world how is that possible in the most feminist country in the world i mean shouldn't like saudi arabia have a more more passionate uh, me to uh, drive they should but uh, there was apparently almost no me too in saudi arabia yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if they enjoy the same freedom of, of speech obviously uh, not yeah. and that's that, i think it's, and that's the I, point I they get think, beheaded if they try yeah. yes and our women don't we don't even beat them anymore <laughs> I mean, we're no, not no, supposed public, to. Yeah, I no, mean, obviously, blogging. there are still a few men, and uh, if you look at percentages, more lesbians who beat women. Uh, but uh, and now they can run around like Sissi Valin and be an obvious liar, like in public for years, for years. And people laud her for it. Mister, she regrets it now. She, yeah, she demands yeah. that she ah fuck that shit. She's not regretting anything. And the same goes for like all of them. Like it, it, this is a country where you can you can really lie and become famous for it, and people will applaud you for it because uh, the lie is so much better here than reality. And for my for my part, I, obviously, I try not to focus too much on like the, the negative aspects of it. I I know women who had personal stories that they just kept to themselves or just barely shared to anyone. Good. That's <laughs> but suddenly they're able to actually express themselves openly. And why? Then... <laughs> and why not with punchlines, if that's what you want? <laughs> or some other form. I mean, the, the, the way they did it, it's just basically... A, I mean, I, I can respect... If you've had a, tra if you've had a 
traumatic experience and, and you want to work through it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily has, have to be through comedy. It could be therapy or it can be if you want to choose the arts, then write a song, paint a painting, write a poem or a novel, drama, tragedy. I don't really care. But it's not the same, but, but because what you're doing then is you're, you're taking something traumatic and awful and you're creating a beautiful piece of relatable art from it that might not only help you but others as well. But this was a mass psychosis. This is something else. This is what they did in China during the Cultural Revolution when you, you gather in big gymnasiums and then you write, write down the names of your neighbors who have, you know, uh, tre uh, trespassed? No, they have uh, done something or other, or yeah. not. Maybe not even that. You just write their names because you hope that that will deflect blame from you, even though you might not have done anything. And that's what happened. That's what Me Too in Sweden was. And when people say nowadays when it, it was mostly good, I always ask, well, point out the mostly good to me, please do. What was mostly good? I would say what it was good is that there are women who got inspired by other women who were actually inspired. Dared. No, but so women who had <laughs> they kept things secret, they kept yes. things to themselves. But then they heard other women openly admitting their own personal story, their their, their bad things, and that but then made them feel like secure enough to actually want to say what happened to them. And that I would say. And the point thing. was that they didn't have to suffer in silence anymore. So they said it then, and now they, they are, they, it's like catharsis. Oh, it's, yeah, it's more than catharsis. Really? Well, they killed Benedict Fredriksson because of it, so I hope it was worth it. <laughs> I don't know who that is. He was a chief of theatre in Stockholm. He committed suicide. He wasn't, he was even, he wasn't even, it wasn't because of sexual arrest. He was accused of being a bad boss. Not, not, not in a touchy-feely way, just too strict killed himself and there are more stories so i hope it was worth it <laughs> like really if you weigh human life towards that pep in your step you felt the day after you just said something that was horrible i mean you have horrible things from your childhood i'm sure that you found traumatic of course yes so what would be the i mean you do realize that that so have you done anything about those things? Well, I'm a comic. So they, they, but that's productive. Yeah. And uh, who did you accuse? Because but, no, but no, I've been lucky. I've not, not had anything that severe if I had to accuse anyone of anything. Well, neither did our foreign minister at the time, Margot Wallström. She came out in Me Too and said, well, at one EU Commission dinner, someone touched my thigh. That was her contribution to the mass psychosis. <laughs> and it, it sort of relativizes rape, doesn't it? Because if you have a lot of women who's had real trauma, and then you have famous women coming out and going like, yeah, I was touched on the bun once. And they, equal, and, and they, they, they make that equal to rape because they, they're all within the same system. It's not, it's very Marxist and it's not very healthy. And I haven't really, because nothing's changed, has it? Ha has anything changed? I think it's part of the problem too, is that uh, when people get free to express themselves and, and talk openly, it's not always a good good thing. Like for example, I saw I saw a tweet today of a woman who said that uh, 
uh, if you uh, shock sex. So if, if you if you have to like kind of pressure through conversation and kind of whine to to get sex, that's rape. Okay. Well, with a very would... extreme position, but then it's also not very not very respectful to people who've actually been forcibly raped. Yeah. To hear that that's also rape. Yeah, because that just if you can't say no to that, then it just means you're weak. But it's also a big thing too, like in the U.S. Every now and then, uh, there'll be some like uh, like a right leaning news source will publish the statistics and say uh, Sweden is the rape capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And because if we look at the statistics, uh, we are far so many more rapes are reported in, in Sweden than in other countries. It's like, but at the same time, though, uh, rape is categorized in Sweden a thigh touch to gang rape on a dumpster on, yeah. on the alley by strangers. Uh, they're qualified the same as just rape, where in the U.S. is not measured the same way, and that's why Sweden's stats are so high. But I think it's also the reflection, the reflection of women feel stronger enough to actually report when things happen. And that is a good thing. That is a regular thing. Uh, but I'm not sure the feminists are helping with that because all I hear from them and their propaganda is that uh, reports to the police doesn't uh, lead to anything. No, conviction rates are still quite low. Yeah. Well, well, that's what they say, at least. I, I don't think they are. Well, no, Statistically, they aren't. I mean, from reported to actual conviction, no. But no, from one, not reported, then they're super low. I mean, if you're not reporting a crime, then obviously no one's going to get convicted for it. Well, the one story I saw this is years ago now, but it was, uh, so it was a guy, it was in Almo, so it was down, down south of Sweden. Uh, a guy came home, to his, came home to his apartment, and there was a girl sitting in the park, kind of courtyard, by herself. And they started talking, and they really, they really connected. So she went up to his apartment with him and had sex, and then she left. And the next day, the police showed up because he was 26 and she was 13. Different matter. And he said, he said in court, he, he, he said, I, I had sex with her, but she, you know, she's so well-developed. I assume she, we didn't, I didn't ask her how old she was. I assume she was at least 16. And the judge said, you're right. Like... She's only 13, hmm. but she looks older. So, so there is so hope, that's what you're saying. Of course, I discussed on stage. Like the, the, but these the, are the, hard. The, the judge said, like, yes, yeah, she's 13, but those tits are 16. Yeah. You're free. But all these things, every case is, is an individual case. They're all hard cases, like really hard cases. And uh, because really two people are the only ones who would know in most of them. And... Uh, me too didn't help that at all just a bunch of harpies screaming for their lives and then the unions came in and started taking down names and then the cool girls within each of these leftist little sects started collecting and taking responsible for keeping the lists of names and then now they have uh, blackmail material that ensures they have power over parts of sweden for a very long time so no, I'd say that was a sucky time in Sweden. And then uh, just a few, two years later, uh, it was the climate. And then, yeah, you know, it just every, and seems to go faster also these mass hysterias for some reason. I think probably social media has something to do with it, but also yeah, just humanity it, yeah. and bad upbringing. So I, I suppose it's the, uh, that love of conflict that keeps you here. There's no, nothing big... really keeps me here now except that I, I'm proficient in Swedish and not in English. Could I switch? I don't know. But the U.S. seems politically 
uh, kind of hard to live in for most people now, doesn't it? From from afar, well, I live here, so yeah, <laughs> for a reason. Uh, I always say I say the political climate is very much pretty much the same as in, as in Sweden. Really? Because when, when Swedes will give me a hard time saying, uh, "Oh, it's only, it's only two parties in America." So yeah, but it's just one party here. So <laughs> <laughs> we always also you can't complain about the oh, it's only a two party system. Where in Sweden it's a two alliance system. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, precisely. Because if it was if, if it really was like if a Democrat was a Democrat. Then Biden would be in Paris right now because they have the uh, majority by one vote. Yeah, in, in but that's Senate. not the case. That's not the case. It's a, and he was a scale. compromised candidate. No one wanted him. I mean, the, the 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 true believers wanted Bernie or AOC, right? So, and that's the thing too. When I always say, I, I am a, I'm, I'm liberal. I'm on the, on the left, and I am a Democrat. But I, I couldn't celebrate Biden's victory. So when I had my friends who were like, like, yeah, right, Biden won. So, yeah, <laughs> but the only reason Biden won. Is because of COVID. Yeah. So you have the death of three hundred thousand people at the time to thank for Biden getting in. So that's not like a hooray, no. we won. And also you competed against the funniest president the United States has <laughs> ever had. <laughs> no, you have to admit, funniest president you've ever had. Right? It's been it's been so nice now because now I now I I read the news every day. I rarely see anything about Biden because it's just nice to go back to a time when he didn't read something yeah. new what the president said yeah. or did. But, but that's the day. thing; they're just not doing their jobs. They could do exactly as good a job against Biden as they did towards Trump, but they don't. And I remember when George W. Bush was elected, they went into resistance mode then too for for eight years. And I'm not saying like in, if I lived in the U.S., I'd probably vote liberal, I suppose. Because uh, I am a liberal, uh, but um, <clears throat> but this is just because I re I read the Bernie tweet today that was like his speech tone delivery. It's all it's exactly like Trump, like pathetic, you know. <laughs> uh, but no one cares. It's just if someone's on the right side of the aisle, then the American media cares, and that's quite obvious by now because America has same problems as they did when Trump was president and it all calmed down and I got this sort of uh, confirmed because I have a one of my oldest friend is American as well and she lives here she's a Democrat you know a Bernie if her sister and mom lives in in the States and they go to pussy hat marches and everything <laughs> uh, and 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 I was like uh, talking about I think I was talking about the Uyghurs uh, being, um, this was a dinner party, and this is me at a dinner <laughs> party. Uh, but the Uyghurs in concentration camps in China, and she's like, ah, "I'm so over that," and I'm like, "And and that for me, that's so typical of her brand of uh, socialism or liberalism." But I wouldn't call it liberalism. I mean, she lives here after all. I think it's just as uh, the average I, I, is because, because thing. As if Trump was in the White House, then the Uyghurs was a problem. The Yazidis was a problem. The Je Yemen, the thing going on in Yemen is a problem. And then uh, Biden becomes president, and none of those things, none of those things, are problems anymore. And that sort of sums it up for me when it comes to what you in America call liberals and we here call social democrats. Because also, I think the Liberal Party now in the United States are pretty much social democratic. I'm not saying like it's all Bernie. But you have that same. I mean, the the liberalism seems to have sort of just gone, and that's that's, that's definitely where the passion is. But I always laugh when when people because like I said I am, I'm a Democrat. I did not want Trump in office, 
the Democratic Party did not want Bernie as their nominee. I mean, they worked hard to make sure that Hillary would be their candidate. I mean, the deck was clearly stacked against him. Yeah. So when, but when people on the left say like, "Oh, well, Bernie would have won if it was fair. Bernie would have won," like he, he's socialist and Jewish. Yeah. He didn't stand a <laughs> no. chance. No. It's not like the people in South Carolina would have been like. <laughs> uh, I don't want to vote for Trump, but I, I can't vote for Hillary. If only there was a socialist Jew, like, oh, I wish I had that option. Yeah, it probably didn't, didn't chance. Didn't stand chance. But I like Trump. I, I really did. I mean, I, I found him hilarious. I, I, and I didn't feel a need to joke about him because I thought he, he did a great job. He did a great thing, like, when Congress told him, oh, this must be comedy gold for you to have Trump in office. No. It's like, no, because what could you say? Nothing. Better than There's him? nothing. And he was making. Sometimes he was making fun of himself, himself without knowing. But some of the time he actually just made jokes, uh, and I thought it was fun. But now it's over, and Twitter is boring, <laughs> and we really need to uh, get going. We do. Yes. Do you have time to share war stories? Well, uh, war stories. I'm so bad at war stories. I just I don't even know if this is a war story. It was the only thing I could think of, and remember, was Jason Rouse had booked me to perform for the um, the editors at High Times. This was uh, like a bit before I think it was completely legal in, in California to smoke weed. And they had just started dabbing. Like uh, they take out like some sort of cream from the, the marijuana plant and it becomes like 90% pure crystals. THC. Okay. So, and and when you smoke that, you really, I mean, it's it, you can tell suddenly that weed is a strong hallucinogen, which you can't when you just smoke a doobie. And um, I remember walking in to uh, uh, this. It was like backs. Uh, it was a, in a closed weed shop or some some sort of shop, and in the back room, and it was so filled with smoke and like seven comedians had gone up before me and bombed completely. Uh, and I went up and, and, and you could tell these people were so high they couldn't even, they couldn't understand a word I was saying. But like my third joke was an abortion joke. And I noticed when I said abortion, they started laughing. So then I started just sticking in the word abortion <laughs> in all my material. And I had a great gig. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was the only one they remembered. Because Jason Rouse went up after me, and he's normally, you know, he's great, uh, especially crowd work. And his material is definitely dark enough for them to appreciate it. But they were too high, and he didn't use the word abortion, so he bombed too. <laughs> yeah, so that's my war story. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, it was very sure. nice to see you again. And maybe again at Big Ben, come fall. Yeah, I'll know you. Um, uh, uh, among all the new faces. We'll, new we'll, we'll surprise faces. them. We'll surprise them how good Yes. Yeah. And maybe, well, we'll see. I think I can still do it. <laughs>